0: Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. I'd like to remind and, uh, the uh, the men uh, on uh, the flowers that we sent. Uh, to Memphis uh for uh, uh, Bishop uh, Don Johnson uh, I know maybe some forget after service but uh if you uh those who said that uh, that you would give on that please there was somebody gave me theirs uh today uh, uh if uh, you haven't done that, please do so let uh let us do that and take care of that um, um, and uh so we can uh, get that um, particular uh, bill taken care of. Amen. Uh, God is great and all the time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah! Give Jesus one more hand, clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, uh, I'm seeing something today that, that normally around here I don't see. And that I've got a few minutes extra time to minister today. Uh, it's about ten minutes till three, rather than being ten or fifteen minutes after three. So uh, maybe uh, uh, I was I was really concerned uh, uh, when the Lord was giving me the the message for today. I says, Lord, I, I, I just am not going to have time to get this this in, uh, and I I felt really really strongly impressed that God was speaking to me a word for you today, not just another message, but a particular word, uh, and um, so you pray for me today. And, uh, and let, let, me, um, let me say this, uh, I appreciate uh, so much uh, our people and our church. Uh, amen, for coming and being a part and, uh, uh, and listening uh, to the Word when the Word is delivered. Uh, and, um, and I want I to say this uh, just up front before I get started into the message today. Um, yeah, everybody look at Pastor right now. Hey, I, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I feel happy in my spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That kind of that reminds me of something, a, a TV program uh, or a movie or something that I watched one time. And somebody says, why is he smiling? Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord to God. Amen. Amen. Um, above everything else. Brothers and sisters, we have got to make it. If we miss heaven, we've missed it all. There's not going to be a retake. There's not going to be a rewind and a replay. It's important... That we live a faithful life unto God. It's not something that's easily done because we have so much to contend with. Just this past week, I heard a well-known preacher. Well, it was—I I take it back—I didn't hear him, but it was something that he put out over over the internet. Through a daily little short message, like, and um, he uh, he was telling. He said he gets tired of hearing Christian people talk uh, uh, talk about uh, their uh, their carnal nature and their fleshly side. He said because did not we receive a heavenly nature when we were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost uh, and. Um, uh, what he was implying was that uh, once you are filled with the Holy Ghost, that you don't have no other forces pulling upon you or uh, getting you to do something else. And I thought, my Lord, you know, how in the world, it's, it's bad, it's bad enough when a minister is deceived, but when he's deceiving everybody else. Apostle Paul wrote, and told the people, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. He did not say wretched man I used to be before I got the Holy Ghost. He used the present tense. He said, When I would do good, evil is present with me. Hallelujah. If if, if it wasn't a struggle and a battle to live faithful to God and, and live right... Hey, we could all look around here and everyone see our halo shining this morning. Amen. Yes, I've got the I got a new I got a new man in me through Christ Jesus, but I still I still have got the old carnal nature within me that I have to keep under control. And that's where the new man comes in. To give to give me the ability to do that, Hallelujah. But for the you man to do that, then we've got to feed the spiritual man so he can be stronger than the fleshly man. Hallelujah. Now, if uh, if um, uh, <laughs> if you if you don't feed that spiritual man within you. Amen. If all that spiritual man is getting his days of our lives and as the world turns Hallelujah. <laughs> he, he's gonna be he's gonna be pretty much a wimp when it comes up against your carnal nature. That's why it's important to fill ourselves. Can't nobody, I don't care who they are, can't nobody survive now. Now get uh, listen, don't get me wrong. Coming to a church house and sitting on a church pew does no more make you a Christian than me going somewhere in somebody's garage and sitting in there and makes me a Ford or Chevrolet or an automobile of some kind. Amen. But having said that, It's an impossibility for me to be an overcomer and grow in grace and that the spiritual man help me to mature in Christ and be what I should be in Christ without the fellowship of the body of Christ and being able to sit down and feed upon His Word in my heart. Amen. Glory to God. Last week we began a sermon series that we titled, Living the Faithful Life. And our main scripture through it all, uh, you don't have to stand right now, wait, wait till I get ready to, to read the text for the day's message. But we re- read this last week, and it was Matthew 25 and 21. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. There's nothing else, church, that I desire any more than hearing those words from Jesus one day. Amen. I have got to hear those words spoken to me. Not to you or anybody else. Spoken to me. Hallelujah. I love my family. But when it comes to my salvation, I've got to hear those words spoken to me. Next ones I want to be able, for them, I want my family next to be able to hear those words. And so on. But this is a personal thing, that we have, we got to strive to be able to hear Jesus say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So the Spirit of God has been directing me on a group of messages titled Living the Faithful Life. Now I told you last week that I was going to take some things and and repackage them. In a a different kind of package, and a lot of the scriptures and a lot of the things that I have taught, I'm going to be talking about. Maybe I've read them in times past, but we're going to be using them for the course of this this sermon series uh, to um, uh, see what God would direct. Uh, And um, today we're going to begin uh, our second message from Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. That's going to be our Scripture efforts. and uh, Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Please listen very close to the words of Jesus here. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unpromptable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. There never has been a group of words, never will be a group of words that I could ever say that's any more sobering than that of Jesus. Jesus. Likewise, you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. From that text, I want to preach a message today in this series, Going Beyond the call, Going Beyond the Call. Mighty God and Saviors, we come today, we thank you and we praise you, God for the blessings, God, of being together once again. Thanking You, God, for everything You've done and what You're doing. Thankful for the good news that we've heard about our building, God, and we know that things are right on track and we are actually being blessed now, Lord, and things are coming together for our favor, Lord. And we thank You for that. And we glorify Your name for that. Now, Lord, I'm asking for the anointing to fall upon us today, God, that we may deliver, God, the word that You have put upon our heart today that we all might leave here today being blessed and being encouraged and being challenged to live our life that we may be a faithful servants unto You. In Jesus' name does the church say. And you can be seated. Now in the second message of this series, Living the Faithful Life, I want us to consider our service for the Lord. I'm going to do my best to keep myself down to the point to deliver to you today because this message I feel like is so very important. Um, I want us all to consider our service for God, our service for the Lord, our work, our endeavors that we have done and we're doing for the Lord, and without making any excuses, evaluate our tour of duty thus far in order to scrutinize our achievements in the kingdom to ascertain if they measure up to the expectations of the one who saved us and called us into his active service. Hallelujah. Has our work that we've done in the kingdom of God since He has saved us and forgave us and applied His blood to us, has our tour of duty as being uh, soldiers in the army of God, do they measure up to the expectations of God? It's great when church members strive to try uh, to to line up to uh, oh, what the pastor teaches and all those kind of things. That's that that's good to a point. But I want you to understand something today. It's not my expectations of you that you need to be concerned about. What are, what are God's expectations of you? What are the Lord's expectations of me? What does He expect from me now that He has saved me, filled me with His Spirit, brought me out of darkness into His marvelous light? What is God expecting from me? What is He expecting from you? Had you ever really thought about that? Well, reading these scriptures here in Luke 17, which is not a parable now, by the way. This is no parable. This is just straight front uh, teaching. He says, um, uh, He said, A master who has a servant who goes about and does his daily routine and his chores and does everything that he's supposed to do. Notice now, he's not slacking up anyway. He's not uh, 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 leaving nothing out, but he's doing everything that he was called to do or hard to do. Jesus says, Does the Master thank that servant because he's done the things that were commanded him? Judas says, I don't think so. I don't think so. And he says, so likewise, you, when you've done all the things which you've commanded, once we've come to the point and the place that we've obeyed every commandment in the book, This preaching is going to be so tough it's going to step all over uh, the preacher's toes today. Once we have done all the commandments in the book, now I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us could honestly say that I followed every commandment in the book. But now Jesus is saying here, he says, likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, then you need to say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I'm not, I'm not much good to God. I'm not very much valuable to my king. Why is that? Because I've only done which was my duty to do. I have not gone no further than that. Oh, my Lord. God help us. The Congressional Medal of Honor is the highest award given to an American military member for service and bravery above and beyond the call of duty. It was first given, and I, I looked this up and did some studying on it. The Medal of Honor was first given during the Civil War Since that time, there have been right at 3,500 soldiers who became recipients of this prestigious award. Now, stop and reflect for a moment. Since the Civil War up to the present time, there have literally been millions of men and women serve in the armed uh, armed forces of one of the branches. It's been millions. But out of the millions of men and women who have served in the armed forces, out of all the millions, there's only been about 3,500 who have received the Congressional Medal of Honor. Alvin York from Tennessee was one of the most decorated American soldiers in World War I. He received the Medal of Honor for leading an attack on a German machine gun nest, taking 32 machine guns out himself, killing 28 German soldiers and capturing 132 others, one man. As he watched his comrades being mowed down by the machine guns of the enemy, he climbed out of the foxhole and went beyond what was expected to do, and he saved many lives on account of it. And let me tell you something else. I don't know. There was an old movie made about him years ago, and you ought to get that old movie and look at it. This man... He, he, was, he was a scoundrel, man. He, he drank and ran around, and he done everything you can imagine. But one day the Lord got a hold of old Alvin, and he got saved. And when, when the time come that they begin to dress people for war, it really bothered him. Because he did not want to have to take up arms and kill nobody. But he was drafted. So when he went down to take care of the paperwork, he signed up as a conscientious objector. But during boot camp, all these things going on in his mind because, see, there had been really a change made in a while one's life, and this was really bothering him. And he had to command an officer Took him under his wing again to talk to him about things, about freedom and how that freedom is not free, and then open up the book and the Bible and, and how the Bible talks about things of that nature. And during the boot camp, that commanding officer gave him a ten days leave to go back home to the hills of Tennessee. And read this book, the Bible and this other book that he gave him, and to pray and to search his heart. He said, You just he says, if you come back and you're not you don't think you want to go, he says, I'll give you a discharge. But somewhere in those in those hills, God spoke to his heart. He, after the ten days he went back and he went ahead, finished his enlistment. When they got over in the heat of that battle and they faced all those machine guns, they say that American soldiers was falling right and left. And he, he crawled out of the foxhole and he did something that nobody else, none, none of the other soldiers, was willing to do. He risked it all, he laid it all on the line. And after killing uh, those, that many uh, German troops, When he got back and the battle was over, his commanding officer says, I don't understand something, Alvin. He says, You were so against being in the service in the first place and the thought of taking lies. He says, What changed you? He said, Well, he says, Commander, when I looked around and I saw lies. To my left, to my right, and to my left, just falling and being mowed down by those machine guns. He says, "I knew I had. I had to get up. I had to leave that foxhole. I had to act to stop the killing." His commander says, "You mean to tell me you took lives to save lives?" He said, "That's about right. That's about right." But he became one of the most decorated. And man, when he got back home, there was all kind of parades and everything for this man. But yet he stayed humble. He did not accept things uh, that people were offering him, and and all these things because he told one of them who offered him, if man, if if we'll, if you'll be willing to use your, let us use your picture on our advertisements and all these commercials and stuff, we'll give you all this. And he told him, he says. He says, I can't profit off of that when so many of my buddies did not make it home. They were left. All right. Today, we live in a very relaxed time where it seems everyone wants only to do enough just to get by. On our jobs, in our marriages come on and even in our churches there seems to be no motivation or fire that will cause us to push the envelope and go beyond the expected to pursue a level of excellence unsurpassed by anybody else you don't see it you don't see it in our younger generation come up today. You don't see it in the people next door. There seems to be no motivation by nobody. No fire in their soul. Amen. That would cause us to push the envelope. Amen. And go just a little bit farther. Hallelujah. When we are losing it all. We have become content with the mundane, satisfied with the mediocre. We are, and we have become shabby in our service to God and also our fellow man. Well, you understand understanding that I'm preaching now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We have to go... well Listen, let me, let, me, let me put it like this. Let me just work on this just a little bit more. We are complacent, apathetic... Oh, my, my. Should I say it? Hallelujah. We have become complacent, apathetic, and have a get someone else else to do it if you don't like my way of doing it attitude. If that don't... If that hammer don't hit the nail on the head, there ain't they ain't none to hit. We're that way. We're that way with our marriages, our husbands and our wives. We're that way with their jobs, and sadly, we're that way with their churches. Well, if what I do is not can't satisfy him, he can find somebody else. And the worst thing about it, we're not ashamed of having feelings like that. Go ahead. Pastor, if you don't like the way I'm teaching Sunday school, find somebody else. Go ahead. Pa- Pastor, if you don't like the way, amen, that I'm that I'm playing the music or, or leading worship, Amen, or, or being the usher, Amen, or just bopping the floor. You can find somebody. the kind of attitude that the church of Jesus Christ is up against in this day and age. And like I've already said, the saddest thing about it is we don't have no shame about thinking that way. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, out of His own mouth, Told us what he expects from his church if we desire to be called faithful servants. We have to go beyond the call. But most of us haven't as yet measured up to the call. I told you before I begin, I'm not I'm not mad. I'm, I, I'm not upset with nobody. I'm happy. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But God got a hold of my soul early in the wee hours of the morning and said, you better tell my people, amen, where we are at in this day because I'm soon to return. We got to go beyond the call. But we first got to measure up to the call before we can go beyond it. It's my prayer that during this message it's my honest prayer that God will light a fire not in your heart but under your seat. I'm not praying for God to light a fire in your heart. If you got the Holy Ghost it's going to be, should be burning. But what apostolic Jesus' name, tongue-talking people need to have a fire lit. It's under their seat. Somebody ought to be praising God right now. Hallelujah. We need to have a fire lit under our seat and get up and get moving because Jesus is soon coming. we got to climb out of the foxhole that we've been being lazy and playing it safe in, and vans if we're going to win the war. (sighs) Man. Man, this is tough. And man, this hurts the old nature. (sighs) Tom Landry is listed as one of the all-time great coaches. There's a whole lot you can go on the Internet and find out about his life. He accomplished a a lot of things in the sports world. The coach of the Cowboys for 29 years he's known for a lot of sayings a lot of quotes but one thing tom lander said one time he said the hardest job that a coach has listen to this the hardest job that a coach has is to make men do what they don't want to do so they can go where they do want to be. Think about that. I have to push them. Make them do things that they don't want to do so they can go where they've always wanted wanted to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're not going to win Chapmanships. You're not going to win Super Bowls, amen, by staying in line at the all-night buffet. you've got to do some push-ups. you got to do all kind of drills. You've got to run and run till you feel like it's your insides are going to fall out. Years ago, just right across the street over here, when I was in school, I went to Maplewood for, for a little while. We had a coach. The first day, he gave us his talk. He says, okay, let's get with it. Hit the field. Man, we ran all around that place. I don't remember now. It's been years ago. Thank God. I'm going to tell you what. Myself along with about two-thirds of the rest of the guys, he stopped us, took us in the gym. He says, now, he says, I want all the fellas... Who's hurting real bad? About right here. He said, "I want you to step out." I just thank God we're going to get some relief. I was hurting. He, I mean, it amazed me now and understand the man. You, he, he knew what to expect. <laughs> I was hurting. Hell I, and I was a whole lot in better shape than I was I am right now. You know, I'm I don't know about thirty thirty waist pants that I wore back in those days. I ain't gonna tell you none of your business what size pants I wear now. <laughs> Hallelujah. But man, I was double up hurting and they, like I said, about two thirds and there there was a few, it was a hand a few stepped back, you know. I mean they they wasn't bothered at all. I didn't hear what I expected to hear, Brother Travis. Those other guys that didn't say nothing, he said, y'all go ahead and hit the lockers and get in shire. He said, the rest of you guys, he said, I want you to take three laps inside this gym. And they had them big, long bleachers all the way across one roll over there. And, I mean, they were tall. He said, after the third row, when you get back around the third time, he said, you start running up up the steps to the top and back down, up and down, up and down, up and down. I said, Heavenly Father, receive my spirit. (laughs) But you know what? When I got through with all of that, He said, line up. I was standing straight. There was not a pain in my body. Now, I felt like I could run a little bit more. That old coach was making us do things that we didn't want to do so we could do things we wanted to do. God, I almost and it's the same way, church, in the kingdom of God, our fleshly desires, our carnal nature, we don't want to do what this book tells us to do. That's how come the Bible says in the last days men would heap to themselves as teachers having an and ears, you see. That's how come we got these big mega churches all over the country with all these preachers, ain't hey, doing all these feel-good sermons and everything happy and some, all this kind of stuff, my Lord. But they ain't getting nothing. Hey, now had to overcome and to be able to face the things you were going to face ahead. Oh, and to God, I say, God poured on me now like that coach did then because just like I want to stand, I stood there with no pain. I want to spiritually stand when the devil pours the forces of hell I want to talk a couple things. My time is going by, even though I started a little early. I want us to look at Christ's example. Looking at Christ's example. What kind of example did He leave us? Matthew chapter 26 Verses 36 through 39. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Somebody quick, who was Zebedee's son's? James and John. And he began, <laughs> Brother Bobby, to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Even Jesus knew distress, Brother Bobby, as he talked in the Sunday school class today. Jesus felt distressed. Then he said to, it, said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, And he went a little farther. I want you to focus that. And fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, in this well familiar passage where the lord poured out his heart in prayer. I want to focus on verse 39 where it said he went a little farther. I'm talking about going beyond the call. Now, I understand it's it's obvious that when he said he went a little farther, he's referring it's the bible's referring to physical distance. He he left those disciples at a particular space, and he went on a little farther, and he, a little bit away from them. He's talking about physical distance. I I understand that, but I want to use that as an allegory, as a parable, if you please, uh, and uh, because it's also true that Jesus went further in other ways as well throughout his life. Amen. Jesus was always going a little farther which should be an example to us to go beyond the call and do more than what we are asked or demanded of in our lives and in our ministries. Hallelujah. I don't have a whole lot of time. I can't cover everything but there's a couple things that Jesus went a little farther in that it would do well for us. Amen to uh, uh to try to be likewise, Jesus went a little further in compassion. Amen, He had compassion over people. How in the world can we as a church win the loss of his city if we don't have compassion for them? How can we be witnesses and let our light shine? if we look at somebody who's lost and have compassion knowing that that person that I'm looking at that man or that woman that I'm looking at will one day be burning in hell and not feel some compassion in your heart to try to let your light shine to stop that from happening Jesus expressed his compassion of those who loved him as well as those who didn't love him And we're talking about the example Jesus left us. He didn't just have compassion on those who loved him, but he had compassion on those who didn't love him back. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's easy to love people who love you. (laughs) Glory. Not quite so easy to love somebody who's made it evident that they don't love you. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me ask the question. Let's think about this just for a moment. What is compassion anyway? What is compassion? Is compassion, is it pity? No. When we talk about compassion, I'm not talking about pity. Jesus could have had pity on us from his home in heaven and didn't have to come down here, uh, come down the earth. Having pity is just saying, I feel sorry for you. Amen. That's all pity is. Well, let's go a little further. Is compassion sympathy? No. To sympathize with someone is merely to say, I feel for you. I've heard, I heard I've heard that tale from people of politicians in Washington for many years. I feel your pain. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. If you feel for me, come down here and pay this bill. I'm having to pay at the gas pump. Praise God. Hallelujah. So compassion is not sympathy. Compassion goes beyond pity and sympathy. Compassion sees people in their need and does something about it. So are we compassionate people? Or is we passing off compassion as feeling sorry for somebody or pitying somebody? Let me give you an example. We may be aware that a person is hungry and don't have any food. We might be aware of that and feel sorry for them. We might even be able to remember back in the day when we had a little food in our house and so because of that we can feel for them but we have not shown compassion toward them until we move to get some food and take it to them so don't pass off your pity and your sympathy for somebody as having compassion for them because compassion Is an action word. Hallelujah. Let me give you an illustration of something I found that moved my heart, and I hope it will move yours. Let me give me some time to read this. In 1975, there was a child born in this world by the name of Raymond Dunn Jr., he was born in New York State, and please. Just because he's a Yankee don't mean he doesn't need compassion. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, hallelujah. This child was born with a skull fracture and had oxygen deprivation, which caused severe mental retardation. As little Raymond began to grow, the family discovered further impairments. And this is a true story. Uh, this has not been made up in the body. This, is, this happened. His twisted little body suffered up to 20 seizures a day. He was blind, mute, and he was Immobile. Let me stop right now and say all you parents out there that's got healthy children, you need to give God praise. Hallelujah. He had severe allergies that limited him to only one kind of food. There was only one food that he could eat that he did not have a severe reaction against. And it was a meat-based formula that was made by Gerber Foods. In 1985, when little Raymond was 10 years old, the Gerber Corporation stopped making that particular formula that Raymond lived on. That, that's close at home because uh, there's one of our children when uh, uh, oh, when she was born could not take any kind of formula automatically throw it up, and the doctors told us about this formula called Baker's Modified, and there was only one place in town that we could find it. It was at a, if I'm not mistaken, it was at a, a drug store on the west part of town that we had to dry to go get. And when, when we got there, the first time darling, and I got there, there were several cans on the shelf, but all of them was dusted. They wouldn't be involved. And we kept going back, buying more and buying more, until one day the shelf was empty uh, and uh, checked to find out that it was not being made no more. Well, this particular baby food by Gerber, they stopped making the formula that Raymond lived on. His mother contacted Gerber Corporation and appealed to Gerber for help because without this particular food, little Raymond would starve to death. The company was not willing, but the employees of the company found out about this mother's plight now listen to this they didn't show pity they didn't show sympathy but they had compassion for in an unprecedented action from the from the employees of Gerber there were volunteers who donated hundreds of hours to go and bring out all the old equipment that they used to make this old type of formula, set up production lines, obtained special approval from the USDA, and began to produce the formula all for one special boy. And none of them ever earned a penny. In January 1995, Raymond Dunn, Jr., known as, by that time, all over this country as the Gerber boy, died from his physical problems. But during his brief lifetime, he called forth a wonderful thing called compassion. Compassion. Hallelujah. Jesus went a little further in compassion. For Christians, compassion is one of the evidences that Jesus is Lord of our lives. It is the outworking of the love of God which is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. It is a reflection of the example of Jesus. That example was demonstrated on numerous occasions all through his life. Are we truly people of compassion? Not only did Jesus go a little further in compassion, He went a little further in commitment. Commitment. Luke chapter 2, verses 48 and 49. So when they saw Him, they were amazed. And His mother said to Him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, we all know this story here. Everybody knows the story of Jesus when he was 12 going up to Jerusalem to the temple for the first time. And then when his family and all the family members left in the caravan, they, they, they went away uh, a two or three days' journey before they even realized Jesus wasn't among them. Hallelujah. We was out looking for cars one time and dealerships uh, looking at cars we needed to get a new car uh, Ronnie uh, I don't I don't remember how old Ronnie was uh, I can't remember he's, he's about he's about yay tall about that tall and uh, we we took off in the car and hit it on down the road we didn't buy none and uh, at that place we drove on down the road and, and we looked around where's Ronnie and we left him sitting at the car dealership we was trying to trade him in <laughs> We had to turn around and go back. Well, that happened to Mary and Joseph and the family. And then when they finally found him, they found him there in the temple talking with the lawyers and the men of the law. And, they, and Mary and Mary forgot something herself. She said, how come you did us this well? Your father and I have been looking for you. Mary you good and well that Joseph wasn't his father. Hello? <laughs> Jesus looked back at her and he said, why did you seek me? Did you know I must be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about Joseph's carpenter shop back in Nazareth. He was talking about the Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. So even from a child, Jesus was committed to the things of God and a desire to please the Father in heaven. He taught his disciples to be totally sold out to everything and go beyond the ordinary. As thus they did, even to the cost of their own lives. All the disciples but one was martyred for Jesus Christ. John was the only one who died an old man. Hallelujah. But he was born and old. They tried to kill him. But praise God, you can't kill what won't die. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory carried out there boiled and all the oil didn't kill him took him out of the pot of oil and took him out to the Alipatnus and God gave him a great revelation hallelujah my Lord hallelujah so Jesus told his disciples (laughs) trained his disciples that we got to go further we got to be committed Jesus always a little further in commitment let me give you Uh, another illustration Julius Caesar (coughs) he landed on the shores of Britain with all his Roman legions he took a bold decisive step to ensure the success of his military venture and to make his soldiers committed to win the battle there's a reason why under Julius Caesar that the Romans took over the whole world There's a reason. Hallelujah. They had done, took over everything else. And Britain was the only place that they hadn't conquered. Well, he gathered his legions together, and they headed for Britain. And he made a decisive step to assure victory and that his soldiers would be committed to win the battle that they won't get tired of fighting and turn around and want go back home before the battle's won. Ordering his men to march up the top of a hill to the edge of cliffs that overlook a place called Dover. He then commanded his men to look over the edge of the cliff to the waters that they left down below. Anybody remember this from studying this in school? Remember what happened? As all those soldiers looked over the edge of that high hill where they once was there at the seashore, all the soldiers were amazed and took a gasp of breath when they saw that every ship in the harbor which they had crossed the channel to go, every ship was in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possible retreat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is proven history. Now his soldiers were unable to return to the continent they came from. There was nothing left for them to do but advance and conquer, and that's exactly what they did. Hallelujah. The problems that a lot of us is having, we've started serving God, but a whole lot of us still ain't burnt the bridges behind us. Brother Jeff, we still made it we got it easy where we can turn around if we want to. Hello, somebody. Hallelujah. But you know what I've come to believe? I believe that there's not been a real true repentance in anybody's life who hasn't burnt the bridges. I used to be an alcoholic, but I'm gonna burn the bridges. I'm not gonna be an alcoholic. I used to be bound to all this other stuff. Hallelujah. By drugs or tobacco or this thing or lust or that or that. What? not? Lord to God, Jesus, let me burn the bridges behind me. When somebody burns the bridges, you got true repentance. You got only one way to go. You gotta go forward. You gotta go forward. Hallelujah. So Jesus went a little further in commitment. The second part, and this is going to be the winding up, talking about going beyond the call and going further, Satan never wants us to go far. Hallelujah. He never wants us to go far. Now listen, listen to me close right here. Sometimes we become deceived about where this attitude of not having a desire to step up and go beyond the call really comes from. If you have an attitude of being satisfied or being complacent and not really climbing out of the foxholes and going further, you need to realize where that attitude comes from. Satan works in your spirit even while I preach, causing you to reject the message God has anointed and just shake it off and not allow it to penetrate your soul. Hallelujah. Don't give yourself so much credit. It's it's not you come up with those ideas and thoughts. That was the devil sitting on your shoulder whispering that in your ear. Even while the message is being presented. The devil makes you think I'll be all right or God's grace will cover me really Hallelujah Any time a, a, a tough tight message is being preached like that I know God speaks to me sometimes he lets me see it on some people's face sometimes I, I can read I can read it just like a book but one thing I'm under the anointing of God you can see some things when you're under the anointing that you don't normally see. And you can see it very well when people are sitting back on the pew and in their mind they're thinking, well, you know, uh-uh, he's preaching too tight on that, but I'll be all right. I mean, after all, God's grace will cover me. Really. What if Satan is misleading you to compromise and take the lesser road? Can you be all right if you accept the fault? that He placed in your mind. Can you really be alright if you run after the thought that the devil puts in your mind rather than the Word through the anointing of God that God tries to put in your spirit? Let me show you something in the book of Exodus chapter 8 and verse 28. This is from the God's Word translation. Pharaoh said... I will let you go, but don't go very far. You may offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert and pray for me. Why are you at it? Hallelujah. Glory. Now, everybody knows the scenario here. Moses keeps going back and forth to Pharaoh, trying to get him to let God's people go. Hallelujah. He won't do it and God will send a plague and, uh, and, and then the plague will come and Pharaoh will call Moses and say, please, do something about this, you know. And it was constant negotiation. Let me tell you something. Quit trying to negotiate with the devil when God's trying to tell you something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sometimes we take the very Scriptures that the God gives us to help us to try to use against God's will. One of those Scriptures is uh, that, and, and I've heard people say it, well, bless God, the Bible says, in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom. Now, that's a good Scripture if you take it and rightly divide it and use it the way the Bible says but there's a lot of people that have multitude of counsel. But, Brother Paul, I go to you, and I get, let me get your advice on this. But if I, you don't give me what I want to hear, then I go to Brother Bobby. And if Brother Bobby stays in line with what he says, and both of them are following the Word of God, I'm rejecting that. I'm going to go hit to Brother Joe. There's a lot of people keep going to everybody until they find somebody who agrees agree with them. <laughs> Hallelujah! And we are gonna justify ourselves when and we wanna look holy well, the Bible says. A multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. Whoop, 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 glory. It's a proof of hell. Amen. Help me, Jesus. Glory. Glory to God. Pharaoh. Wanted Moses to negotiate. So finally, I believe it was the plague of flies. By this time, man, there's nothing no bet worse than a bunch of flies in the house, is it? Hallelujah. So Pharaoh said, "I tell you what, Moses, I'm ready to strike a deal. Let's compromise a little bit here. I'll let you go." and the Israelites, but don't go very far. <laughs> and when God says we got to go beyond, hallelujah, glory to God, God is telling them they got to get plumb out of Egypt. The devil don't want you to get out of Egypt. Hallelujah. He wants you to, even if you get a little ways of here, at least stay in the shadow of Egypt. Still dress like Egypt. Whoa, my God. Still talk like Egypt. Hallelujah. Still have an attitude of Egypt. Let me ask you this question. What would have happened to Moses and the Israelites if they had accepted Pharaoh's offer? Huh? What would have happened to them? The devil doesn't listen to me. I know I've laid a lot of heavy stuff on you this afternoon, but I got just a little bit more. The devil doesn't mind you coming to church once a week to sing a song, run the owl, and shake folks' hands. Hallelujah. He doesn't mind you making a little contribution every once in a while as long as you never become fully committed. Well, I've been giving you a lot of illustrations. I'm going to give you one more. I told you a story in a message that I preached. It's been three or four years back. And that message was entitled Contribution or Commitment. Contribution or Commitment. And a little illustration I gave in that message I think is retelling here today. Let me tell you this. This is on the light side, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to try to lighten you up a little bit. I know I've been pointed on you. Let's lighten up a little bit. A chicken and a pig was once hanging out down on the farm. When the old hen began to brag about how important her role will be, and supplying the farmer with eggs so he could have a fine breakfast the next morning to start his day off. Hallelujah. Roosters ain't the only ones that struts. His hen was just bragging to his old pig because of me. The farmer's going to have a nice breakfast in the morning. I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna get down to the nest and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay some eggs. And the devil's got a lot of us been laying eggs for a long time. Hallelujah. She just had her beak in the air and just bragging about it. But it didn't, it didn't move that old pig for nothing in the world. He says, "Oh yeah." Replied the pig, you will be only contributing an egg. I will be committing my life because my bacon is on the line. There's a difference in a contribution and a commitment. Can somebody say amen? That old hen might have been bragging about them eggs she's putting out. But it was only a contribution. That old pig was going to have to commit. His bacon was on the line. Glory. Hallelujah. So the devil don't mind us coming once a week to the church house doing our Pentecostal thing. Hallelujah. Amen. But he don't want us to go beyond the call. He don't want us to leave the shadow of Egypt. Hallelujah. He wants us to stop just shy. Can somebody say amen? Satan causes many people to become satisfied with some tiny contribution and think Jesus will one day thank them for their service. Amen. He'll get us thinking that our little bit of contribution... God will one day pat us on the back for that contribution and say, well done. Don't believe that lie because I'm going to close this message by reading part of the open text again, Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. If I just come and do my little thing every now and then and make a little contribution to the kingdom of God, but never get really committed to it and putting my whole being into it like that pig did? Don't expect thanks at the day of judgment. Jesus said, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unrighteous profitable servants we have done what was our duty to do may our lives become driven to one day hear him say well done thy good and faithful servant well done you have gone above and beyond the call of duty I want to go beyond what about you I want to live my life pleasing to God. I want to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's hear everybody stand together.